Dennis Quaid is one of the most famous actors in the world. He's been in about 150 movies spanning almost 50 years, and he is at the same time a really interesting and engaged person with a lot to say who thinks a lot and thinks freely. He's also an accomplished musician. But he has a project coming up that you probably ought to know about. We thought it was definitely worth telling you about. And so we're grateful that Dennis Quaid is joining us on set right now. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tucker. I'm so glad to be here. So, I mean, I could ask you a million questions, but I want to get I want to get right to the project that's coming up right now mm. about our power grid that you did. Can you just give us a quick overview of what this is and why did you do it? It's called Grid Down, Power Up. And uh, it's about an issue which concerned me really for quite some time. I, uh, they did a, little, uh, a segment on 60 Minutes about this, but it, basically uh, there is a 100% probability that our sun generating what they call a GMD, uh, which is a solar storm that uh, hits our hits our Earth and uh, the magnetic field that we have around the Earth and can fry everything that is electric above the ground, including our entire grid. And, and this would happen organically, naturally. That's just what the sun does. It has happened. There was a they call it a Carrington event, uh, which happened in I think it was 1859 and. At that time, basically, we had telegraph lines as far as electricity goes. And it fried our entire telegraph system. It was set up, had to be replaced. And uh, the entire thing? The entire thing. And so it, imagine what that would do now with a very large storm, uh, which there's a 100% chance of it happening. And that was a 100-year event, they called that one. And, uh, and I'm not good at math, but, but 1859. the trillions of dollars that it would take to to replace all that, plus there wouldn't, we wouldn't even get to spend the, those trillions of dollars because the uh, it would take out not only the electricity, but you know all of our, our entire infrastructure and our society runs our electricity. We don't we don't know how to live without it. You know, you turn on there wouldn't be any water in your tap. There wouldn't. You couldn't get gas for your car because the, the the whole system is broken down. Everything that we rely upon would be gone. Uh, the food would uh, melt in our refrigerators. There would be, uh, and they predict within a year, about 90% of the population would be dead from starvation, disease, or you know, people it gets back to the Stone Age again, killing each other. Yeah. Well, that's shocking. Yeah, so a bit of information. That really lifts your day, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> I mean, I just sort of, I'm adding that to the Armageddon file but, that's you know, growing. Nobody's nobody's really talking about it, and and uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, President Trump actually uh, signed an executive order to uh, to uh, harden our grid to protect ourselves against an event like this happening. Obama uh, tried to get that going as well, and. It uh, it's stuck in these regulatory agencies that you know and, and lobbyists because money needs to be spent. Most of our uh, grid power companies are privately owned, and you can understand them not wanting to spend money on something that might occur. But this is definitely going to occur. 
And so it, it, it would mean, and this is not from a foreign adversary. This is just a solar cycle, or or well, we'll get to that, that in a minute. Okay, but, but this is, yeah, but, but we're starting is, with just is, what nature this, might yeah, do. Yeah, this is not what you call an enemy. This is you know our uh, the sun that we rely upon every day, and these solar storms that happen, and they they happen with you know frequency and. You've seen, everybody's seen, you know, pictures of the sun where, the, you know, the storm is happening and these flares come out and they're ejected out into the, into the solar system. And we just, you know, like in packets and we, uh, I think it was 2014, we barely missed one by uh, five days that went across our path of orbit around the sun. And it's going to happen. And then, you know, once it hits the Earth, there's a 50% probability of it either being us or the Eastern Hemisphere, who's ever exposed to that's the sun. So, <laughs> so is there anything that you can do? I mean, could you harden our electrical? Yes, yeah, so there, there are simple things that we could actually do uh, to... Uh, that could be built in that would, you know, not only for the military, which we'll get to, but uh, uh, civilian uh, infrastructure to protect it that uh, relatively inexpensive compared to what it would cost if uh, an event like this happened. And overall, over time, it'd probably be about $100 billion, about the same that we just gave to Ukraine. <laughs> so you know, to protect them from the Russians, uh, and uh, it'd be money spent. Plus, also uh, the you know the process of doing this, we, you know, it's like a space program. You find out all kinds of other things that actually uh, help society and advance us and our technology. But uh, it basically relays. Uh, protective relays that could be put at our, our substations and transformers that in an event like this happens, uh, kind of similar to kind of a surge protector that you have in your computer. That, that since that, you know, there's a surge like that and cut it, uh, cut it off to protect it frying our uh, transformers. Would, uh, pardon my total ignorance on this topic, I'm embarrassed, um, but would such a solar storm hurt people or just electrical components? No, it doesn't hurt people. Uh, in fact, it, uh, it, uh, it's only like the, you know, transistors uh, and, you know, anything electrical. And you can melt it. These transformers that we have, uh, I think there's, uh, there's, you remember the the blackout that happened in New York uh, not too long ago, and uh, that it, you know it took it was trees that were hanging over yeah. a, a power line just like that, which caused a, you know a surge of power and upset the balance, and it all relies on these transformers that uh, get overheated, and they the if you need to replace one, you don't just replace one; they weigh about. 500,000 pounds to begin with to get them. It takes, if you want another one, it takes two years to get one. We just don't have them sitting around uh, uh, just ready to replace either. They're, it's really difficult. It takes time. And if you had a situation where your your supply chain is cut off and, you know, we get some of them from China, by, by the way, and uh, 
it's you know, it's just tough to do. If I can just ask you a dumb question, so this an event like this happened in 1859, mm -hmm. and it took out our entire telegraph system. Mm -hmm. So this has been known for quite some yeah quite some time. Yeah. Um, and yet we built a system that's vulnerable to it. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, the storms the storms come in varying intensities. The, that carrying thing an event, uh, I don't, I don't, must have been you know upwards of like eighty five with eighty five volts per meter. I think that's what the the figure is the way they measure it. Uh, and our system is built to take on like eight volts. Uh, per uh, kilometer, I mean, eight kilometers, uh, uh, and uh, it, it won't handle it. That's what Obama wanted, that's what Ob Obama did when he, uh, by executive order, wanted to uh, harden our, our system. Uh, what had he brought up to, to that? And the regulatory people, NERC and FERC, took it and said, had wound up just protecting our, our uh, infrastructure to eight volts. And so it's like 10 times less. There was, because of these other storms that came through, you know, one I think was like 12, another one was this or that. And so they, it wasn't a worst, uh, worst case scenario, in other words, that they prepared for. And that's what you need to prepare for. Of course. Of now, course. You're describing what we used to call when we believed in God, acts of God. Yeah. Probably our acts of God, but whatever. Um, but things that no human can control. Right. But there's a Force whole- Force majeure. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So there's a whole other category, though, of attacks from adversaries or terrorists Yes, or that's the other thing. And what are those? Another, uh, another a scary thing. I think, you know, the world as far as the danger in the world today is much greater than when I was growing up. I grew up at the, at the height of the Cold War where, you know, we had duck and cover. Yeah. I lived in Houston, which was within that circle during the Cuban Missile Crisis of getting hit and probably would have been hit and, uh, you know, by the bomb. And it's scarier today than it was then. At least we had mutual, uh, uh, mutual annihilation and we yes. had deterrence, you know, based on that that we wouldn't pull the trigger because the other, your, your adversary was going to destroy you too. And today, you know, that, that club has grown to where it's not only Russia, the United States, it's North Korea. Yeah, Pakistan. That everybody knows, Pakistan, India, Iran, yep. which uh, you know, they, they believe they already they already have the nuke they just don't have the delivery system for it that could reach the united states and uh you know you believe people, iran has a nuclear weapon i think they do yeah you know the russians have been helping them out and uh if they don't have one they're going to have one within six months to a year and it's really uh the We've been approaching it. Well, they don't have the delivery system. They don't have the, you know, the ICBMs that can deliver yeah. that all the way to the United States. They definitely could hit Israel, though, who, yeah. who they're committed to destroying. And, uh, you know, and, but they also have their terror organizations. And it's gotten to the point now where it's getting so condensed. You know, these suitcase, dirty bombs, whatever they are. Yes. 
you could definitely rig one of those up and hook it to a, a, a Scud missile, put it on a cargo ship just off the United States uh, coast, send it up to a certain altitude, explode it, and uh, how that would have what they call a super EMP, which is electromagnetic pulse, which yes. is the same thing as a geothermal event you know, with the sun. It's uh, you, if you send up a missile, a nuclear uh, with a, a nuclear uh, bomb on it. It exploded at 400 kilometers above the Earth in space. Basically, you won't you won't see it. You won't see the explosion because it's in a vacuum of space. You uh, you won't hear it. No people will be killed. But the gamma rays, which are thrown out from that, would encompass most of the United States and take out this very same grid. And within which could cause a power outage all across the United States up to months, even a year. And we'd have the same scenario that we so described if, before. I mean, you, you hate even to game it out, but like if that happened, if huge parts of the United States had no power for a year, I mean that that I mean that'd be an extinction event for a lot. Like of they, yeah, they've done a study, and ninety percent of the, of the population would be dead within a year. You know, in eighteen during this Carrington event, I mean, one thing we didn't rely on electricity. You know, and everybody had a cow if you yes. wanted milk and you had a horse if you wanted to drive you, you know, your car wouldn't work you what do you do your telephone doesn't work there's no way to inform the public about you know anything anything so you're kind of messed up so, so <laughs> i mean that in some ways seems far more effective than nuclear weapons mm -hmm. not only that you're you're not you're not killing people and so that makes the decision to use them a little, you know, it's not, Easier. you don't have to, you don't have to wrestle with your, your morals. Right. Uh, There's uh, no smoking hole at Hiroshima. Yeah, exactly. And just like, and because there are so many actors doing this and they're, you know, some, they're terrorist subgroups as well. Uh, who do you retaliate against if it's, if it's done from a cargo ship and you don't even know where it came from. So who was, who was the perpetrator and who do you retaliate against? And yes, uh, the, the military has hardened uh, most of, of their infrastructure when it comes to, to this, but they get their electricity. 90% of their electricity comes, 99% of their electricity comes from civilian infrastructure. So how long is that going to last? And uh, so, so do you think uh, one of magnified EMP attacks could, would take out a lot? I mean, what, like most civilian power plants? Yeah, just one, what they call a super EMP. And that, that has to do with the, uh, the altitude where it is exploded, you know, from the center of that covers a certain area, whereas if you were lower down, you would only be able to cover that much area yes. because it spreads out in a circle. So, and uh, it just fries everything. So why, I mean, I know there are a lot of things to worry about. Yeah. A lot of things are failing at once, obviously, but um, this seems like you might want to move it toward the top of the list of things to worry yeah, about. Yeah, I would, I would think so. 
I really would think so, but it's, uh, and indeed the, uh, you know, the Russians and the Chinese have, have done so much more to harden and to protect their infrastructure than we have. And so it gets down to that whole thing about survivability, you know, being able to survive an attack and uh, to attack someone and then being able to survive the, uh, when they retaliate. And uh, they've got that going for them. And it also makes somebody like, you know, Iran, who it, it's a fraction of what they their military budget is. And they know they can't defeat the United States. But, I mean, even a, even a simple terror group, you get their hands on a Scud missile and a, and a, and a nuclear device, you can really do some damage. And I don't know why that our government has not been informing us more about this. Back during the Cold War, when I was a kid, I was, you know, in the fourth grade, we, we kids were informed about what could happen, what to do if, if something happened, at least that. And also, uh, let's get something done. I, I, I mean, I don't think the average person has any idea that this threat exists. Yeah. No, they don't. Uh, the majority, the vast majority of the people don't. Where, where is the climate lobby on this? I, I mean, don't. they're very involved in trying to remake the grid and right. you know, change our sources of energy and their energy experts. Um, but is this something that they're taking up? No. Not to my knowledge, no. Or windmills. But this, this really definitely, this has to, well, they would be affected too, you know, of course. But it's, it's you know, it's, that's all about the fuel that comes, you know, to the power agency or, you know, whether it be coal or wind or whatever it is. But if, if you knock out the, these relay stations, it, the power can't go anywhere. It just fries everything. So this does suggest, I mean, our, Country, our country's population is clustered in cities. Yeah. Those probably aren't going to fare as well. No. It'd be easier to live in the country, of course, and people who live in the country would probably have better ideas, better knowledge of how to survive after an event like this. But uh, it's, it's a scary proposition. I mean, there needs to be education, and, and there needs to be something done about it. And... Uh, Done about it pretty quick. I mean, these these protective relays that uh, that could be installed in the transformers. Starting with that, I mean, we have the technology. We know how to do this. It's not something mysterious that we have to get involved in. What we do need is something like a Manhattan Project that we had back during World War II, where you know the Germans. We knew that the Germans were trying to develop a bomb, and so we 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 got there quicker and somebody to cut through all the bureaucratic uh, red tape and be vested with the authority to just to get this done. We could do, we could do it in a couple of years. So you mentioned FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Yeah. I mean, that would be, wouldn't that be the agency that would be thinking about this? They are, they, yes, you would think that, but it, that's not the way it works. It, you know, Obama like sent this to Congress. I mean. To, to get it done, and then it gets caught in FERC and NERC because they're controlled by uh, 
the lobbies, the, you know, the lobbies of uh, the energy lobbies that it, it's about, they'd have to spend money. And um, which they don't necessarily want to do because, you know, it costs a lot. Yes, it would cost a lot. I think the government should, should uh, help in this. And there's so many of them, too, scattered uh, across the United States. You know, they're locally owned, most of the energy companies. Uh, there's an energy company in South Carolina that is uh, really doing something about it. And there, there have been some cases where, uh, you know, we've had energy companies that are uh, making moves to protect the grid, but that's only one little part of the grid. You know, it's... Uh, when it comes down to it, they, they depend on the on the one next door to them and the one next door to them. It would cure the AI problem pretty quick, though, right? <laughs> You'd have no AI yeah. with no electricity. Yeah, exactly. But you wonder, there's all these, I mean, a huge part of the American economy is based on digital commerce, digital innovation. I mean, this is being... Right. Financial system is going to break exactly. down. Exactly. Transportation so breaks down. Your water doesn't work. Food delivery is gone. Uh, your telephones don't work. You go back to, basically, we go back to that Carrington event. The world goes back to 1859, and we're all in the dark, and the lights are out. So you'd th you would think that all these other sectors of the economy would be lobbying, because they all are dependent on electricity. Mm -hmm. Everybody's dependent on electricity. So if I'm Google, or if I'm... Microsoft running AI or right. whatever, like I need, a, yes. you know, I would be yeah, lobbying Especially you, you've got to have that. And uh, plus also the, just the effects of, of, of the gamma rays, you know, upon these microchips that uh, they're melted. Actually, you know who the, the largest manufacturer of vacuum tubes is? Russia. Vacuum tubes? Vacuum tubes. Russia and China. They... They are still in the business of manufacturing vacuum tubes because vacuum tubes like they are the back far more resistant. They are far more resistant to this, these uh, gamma rays. Are you serious? Yeah, than the microchips. Do they? Do they make the old old analog <laughs> technology? Is is you know would would uh, work with internet dial up? You know, are they handle? making horse carriages too? <laughs> they probably should. Yeah, be. They probably should be. Yeah. So, okay, well, you just blew my mind. Yeah, you want to go out and join the cavalry, I guess. <laughs> so what kind of reaction are you getting when you tell people this? Uh, the, uh, the mouths agape, kind of like you. Yeah. Yeah, because nobody hears about it. And it's, it's something we don't like to think about. But it's, you know, I think people think of it in terms of an asteroid, which is on its way to destroy the Earth, right. you know? That seems like a very remote, in fact, is very remote. Uh, and, um, but this is, you know, whether from the sun or a bad actor, this is something that 100% chance it's going to happen. And we are just no, nowhere, no way prepared for it. That's absolutely terrifying. Um, so of all the projects you've done, 150-ish, I mean, this has got a rate among the most significant. Yeah, uh, David Tice, uh, who's, he was a producer. He, he produced Soul Surfer, that movie yes. I was in. And uh, he's a patriot and a uh, really smart individual. And 
he was he called me up because he he, he created this uh, movie Grid Down Power Up. That's the name of it, and. Uh, Asked me if I wanted to be involved, and I'd seen that 60 Minutes episode, you know, about the geothermal event uh, happening like that. And it's, I just said yes, because I remember it really uh, frightened me when I saw it. And I, like everybody else, had just gone on and forgotten it, because you have, we have so many threats that are right in front of us right. yeah, that, uh, you know, this gets pushed to the background. It seems like a pretty obvious one, though. Yeah. And it's always it's it's always the one you you don't see you know it's the, that gets you it's it gives us feet of clay basically you know we may be the big bad great greatest nation on earth the United States with all our uh, it's but in some ways all of this technology uh, this highly industrial uh, complex that that we built is has feet of clay because of this little simple thing. It's kind of perfect though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it is Tower of Babel stuff, like people build this. Yeah, it's the Trojan horse, you know? Yeah, this massive thing and it's mm -hmm. horrible. Looking back on all we were talking off air about all the movies that you've done, what are the ones that you remember most vividly? Well, The Right Stuff is my favorite. Why? Period. Because it was, uh, when I, I grew up in Houston, I wanted, uh, you know, John Glenn went up I was in the second grade that rolled the TV and everybody that replaced wanting to be a cowboy, everybody wanted to be an astronaut back then. And uh, so, you know, I grew up wanting to be and then along came the book uh, and I read it like in two days and wanted to play Gordo Cooper because he was my favorite astronaut back then. He was the youngest one. He was like the rock and roll astronaut. Yeah. And then, couldn't believe it, I got the part. And then it turned out Gordo Cooper lived three miles from me in L.A. No way. So I called him up, and we became good friends. And he uh, he turned me on to a flight school, and I, I learned to fly. I got my pilot's license from that. And still flying, fly jets now, in fact. But it was like the ultimate boyhood fantasy, uh, that role. And it took nine months to do it, and Chuck Yeager, legendary Chuck Yeager was on the set every day so it was it was a great time it sounds unbelievable yeah so you said you were saying off-camera that um, when you started I think your first movie that you were in or around was 1975 it like how long did it take to make a movie then uh, it was at least at least three months you know at, to make a movie back then because because of the cameras, you know, it would, you, you shoot one side of a scene, and then you got to, what they call turn around and you know, shoot the other person going the other way and seeing the background the other way. And the lights and the cameras that we had at the time meant that it was, a, it was at least, you know, a two to four hour turnaround. So you just sit in your trailer and wait for that to happen. Now all that happens like in 15 minutes. And so movies just moves really quick. But if you're on, if you're taking, you know, months out of your life to go to a location far from your home and you're in this, like, biosphere with all the other yeah, actors. And right. Every, I mean, that's like its own world, right? Yeah, that's, ex exactly. And uh, it, you know, it's, it's real time consuming. That's the reason, I mean, now you see actors, you know, doing maybe, like, three, four movies a year because it doesn't take that long. Huh. It's not that they're 
so picky. You must get to know the other people on set pretty well. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, it becomes your, you know, it becomes your world. You're, you're, it's a gypsy life, basically, being an actor. And uh, you know, still work a lot, and, uh, but spend a lot more time at home now. But I mean, I like. for decades, you must have spent like no time at home. Yeah, but that's that's your life. Huh? You know, what's the most fun location? It's better shoot? than working for a living. Oh, Let I agree put it that, that way. Yeah. 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 What are the coolest locations to shoot a movie at? Oh, it's, I've been everywhere. I I did one in Svalbard. Uh, this was a, a television streaming series. Svalbard is the has the northernmost airport in the world. It's up there, Langjotter, and it is. Uh, where Admiral Perry is last stop before the North Pole. It's above Greenland. It's wow. 400 miles from the North Pole, like the North, uh, the North Star, which if you're, you know, here in our, uh, where we are in our latitudes, you know, it's about like right there, about 45 degrees there. It was up here. And we were inside the Arctic Circle, which means you, the, the Northern Lights, you, you see a complete circle of it. It was, it was like being on another planet. So the Earth is round, you're confirmed. The Earth is completely round. Okay, so but you know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, Where were I, you could, staying I can there? confirm that. They had, a, they had a great little hotel there. It's kind of a tourist spot for people to come. There were 1,500 people there uh, and 3,000 polar bears, they like to say. And uh, it, uh, it was, it, that's an interesting community, actually, because it was started by... Uh, an American, uh, which is Goodyear, Goodyear tires. Yeah, it was he. That guy went over there because they had a lot of coal there on on that island, and uh, he he started a coal mine. And people from all over the world came came there because it was guaranteed work, and that uh, so it was extremely diverse within that and it still continues to be that today it's it's uh it's it's where a lot of people would come there to get like an uh an eu passport so you had like at the time that i was living there uh you there were like 800 people from thailand there and you can only stay there like two years and you're not allowed to die there Really? Yeah, they're pretty, you can't be buried there. They're pretty strict about There's no, no dying. such thing as, yeah. It's supposedly kind of owned by Norway, but it's also uh, the same place where we had our listening post, observation post during the Cold War if the ICBMs were coming over from yeah. Russia because they come over. And then two miles from where we had ours, the Russians had theirs. And... Uh, that little town is like a ghost town. That's another little tourist spot there. It's a fascinating place to go. And no dying. No dying allowed. It's a death-free right. zone. So you brought a guitar. Yeah. Tell us about your interest in music. I've been playing guitar. Music was first for me, really, you know, from the time I was 12. And you, know, you can't act alone in your room. I guess you can. <laughs> Many I guess have you can, tried. but there's no one to act with. And <laughs> acting is reacting for me. But music is, you know, is a thing that your friend uh, as a kid and it, that, that was, I was kind of like music acting, music acting. I, I, I didn't know. And uh, it became acting. But music has always been laced in there and I've always had a band. And uh, I knew I was never going to shred a guitar, but I 
Uh, so I took up songwriting to go with that. How hard is that? Songwriting? I, it's it's not a question of being hard. I think if you ask any songwriter, it's it's like an affliction. It's something that you either have or you don't. And you get an idea that's a song or whatever, and you, it just, it's going to bother you until you finish it. Do, do you have so some you, working their way out of you right now? Yeah, at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Can you play one? It has nothing to do with EMPs. <laughs> no, good. I need a respite I would from say that. Well, that I, was I dark, would, man. I would play a song. i tell you what, I'll play you a song that I think probably applies to you, Tucker. All right. As well. I wrote this because of uh, Chris Christofferson, who's, who, uh, he and Kenya Tucker and Randy Carlock did a song of mine that's going to be out. Did, did you know Chris Christopherson? Oh, yeah. He's a great guy. Fantastic. But his wife said that nobody calls Chris because they think he's such a legend. They, well, yeah. They wouldn't take the call, you know? So. But does he want people to call? He wants people to call. So now in my act, when I get up to playing this song, I call his wife, Lisa, and and we leave, we all leave a message where the entire audience says hello, Chris. <laughs> it's good, but I, I found that myself. Dude, it's about me as well. But because when you get to after a certain age, after sixty, people start giving you undue respect for <laughs> for for things. You know, I look forward to that by calling you. <laughs> yeah, by calling you legend, right? Legend. So I wrote this song for that. Please don't call me legend My humble life's not through It's got a beginning, a middle But there still ain't no end To what I might yet do I might just climb all the Himalayas Plant a flag on a planet or two <laughs> But if you call me legend again Please wait until I'm in my tomb Oh, and please don't treat me special. It makes me feel alone. How can I be the simple person I've always been if you put me up on some throne? I'm quite capable of making my own mistakes, and I'm not afraid of failure. So if you call me legend again, I might just have to see you later. One more verse. <laughs> Please don't call me legend. It makes me feel like I already died. That's just a what a third-hand story about some has been and it's probably a lie. So I'll just keep on keeping on trucking year after year. And if you call me legend again. I might just have to box your ears, you know I will. I might just have to see you later, bye-bye. I might just have to see you later. Excellent! <laughs> that was awesome! You're welcome, Tucker. <laughs> I love that! <laughs> I love that kind of music. What yeah. is it? Well, how would you describe that? That, I don't know, Americana, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Good old summertime, that one. That's amazing. Yeah. When did you write that? Uh, about two years ago. Yeah. In, in Rage? 
That was. I mean, there are threats that, of violence that in the song. After, I'm just that saying. That was after uh, uh, meeting uh, Chris. That episode kind of sparked that idea. Who are your favorite musicians? Uh, Who do you listen? Well, to? he was definitely one of them. Yeah. Uh, currently, I'm going through the Frank Sinatra songbook. Really? Yeah. Because there was nobody could nobody could sing like Frank. I mean, it just as a musician, you know, the voice is an instrument. And his phrasing and incredible. You know, Jerry Lee Lewis was like, yeah, really he was one of he was one of my piano teachers when I did the Great Balls of Fire. You knew him? Yeah, he was by the whole time we're doing the movie. He's right over my back, going, "You're getting it wrong, son." So he was really quite uh, an amazing human being in all kinds of ways. I was an animal. Yeah. What was John Prine like? John Prine, yeah, he, he, was, he was just a sweetheart of a person. You know. Really, extremely talented. Oh. It is such a, like a pure musician. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about the fame and fortune for him as much as it was about the music. And as a songwriter, I mean, nobody could, could turn a phrase like could, him. Kind of by himself in yeah. that category. Yeah. But what? But he never really became a household name. Mm, yeah, but a lot of people know him, and it's you know, and his music will go on. I mean, you take somebody like Chris Christopherson, you know, that, I think that's really kind of the measure. I th I, you know, I think a song like Bobby McGee, yeah. they'll be singing 500 years from now. 100%. You know? But no one will, they, they, everyone thinks Janis Joplin wrote it. Yeah. But it's okay. She, she didn't. Yeah. I particularly like songs that sound like they were written by Anonymous. You know, a lot of those, those, uh, uh, American songs that are like written on the frontier that yeah just that as people, traditional yeah on it exactly. Did you ever know Willie Nelson? Yeah, yeah, I've played with Willie Nelson. In fact, uh, on stage a couple of times. What's he like? He's a very generous man, and I mean, gosh, what his contribution to to music, and he's still doing it, man. He's still doing it just as great as ever. Yeah, he's like ninety years old. Yeah. In the end, looking back on your life, are you more excited about making movies or playing music? Living life. Yeah. That's that's what it is for me. Now, you know, it's like, I've been really, I, my autobiography is going to be called My Lucky Life because I've, I've really gotten a chance to do so many kinds of things that I, I never would have thought uh, I could have done. And at this point, you know, my movie career, which has been, uh, so fantastic, uh, uh, see, it's so fulfilling, really. I, I enjoy it so much more now, making movies, because I'm not trying to get anywhere. I'm not trying to attain something. I'm just doing the things that really interest me. And, you know, that keeps the joy in, in life. Of course. You know. Do you think that, you know, in 30 years, Hollywood will still be a creative force? I don't know. I really don't know. It seems to be spreading out. Yeah. You know, we're trying to get a Hollywood started in Texas, actually. We're trying to bring filmmaking uh, uh, there as, as an industry, not just as a destination right. for Hollywood, you know. And, uh, I mean, the way it is now, not so many movies are, are, are made in California anymore anyway. Right. And a lot of the ones that I uh, see in the previews, they all look like the same movie. Yeah. You know, a few really sneak by there every once in a while. Occasionally. Yeah. So I, I just, I got to ask, got to 
end it with the question I ask everybody, but I'm just interested, like, where do you see the country in a year? In a year? Yeah. Well, I'm really, I'm really tense about next year, yeah. election year. It seems that, you know, more than any other time, it's, everybody's got to, like, pick a side. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's both Democrats and the Republicans. I'm an independent, by the way, and always yeah. have been. I, I voted both ways, you know, uh, according to what the pendulum I thought the country needed. But both sides uh, seem to think that uh, our country is, is going to be doomed. It's that uh, democracy is going to be over if uh, one or the other wins. Yes. And so how do we get to that place where we can have that transition of power like we did not so long ago right. where at least people could tolerate it without having to, you know, uh, basically have a coup in one way or another, yes. a military coup. We really are, I'm afraid of us becoming like a banana republic like that. And we're the United States of America. We're Americans. Yes. And, and um, I, do, I do believe, I mean, things are a little bit more, they're scarier than the word 68. I mean, Kennedy, Kennedy, uh, Bobby Kennedy was shot, Martin Luther King was shot, all the riots, uh, you know, cities were burning. Uh, and, but we knew, who those, we knew who the leaders were back then. You know, but yes. now it's, it's just this kind of, underground simmering rage uh, on both sides. And uh, I, you know, f setting aside who's right, who's wrong, or whatever, I, I just think we need to find ways to unite. And America's always found a way to unite. Uh, I mean, things, back when they were making the, uh, the forming the Constitution, uh, you know, it, there was a guy, there was, who was it that came the other senator, in fact, in, uh, in the chambers? It was, it got really bitter. It's, it was always about to fall apart. You yeah. Know, it's fragile. And Reagan is right, you know, uh, our democracy is, only, you know, can be lost in a generation. Yes. It only takes a generation to lose it. You know, and... Uh, I think we need to educate our kids what a great country this is and that we're, in spite of our way we don't agree, that we agree to, that we're Americans. And uh, so, God bless us. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I just like to see cooler heads prevail. Do you feel that there are cooler heads out there? Yeah, I think. As individuals, we're, we can be, we have, in general, we have cooler heads. You know, it's, I guess it's the mob that, that whether it be on the right or the left or somewhere else, yeah. you know, that uh, it, it gets confusing. You know? Very. It gets really confusing. Well, I hope I see you in a year. I think I will, Tucker. <laughs> I think so, too. That's good. Either here or in Maine. Yeah, here or in Maine. It's great to see you. Thank you. I On that note, Amen. thank you very much for thank having you. me. 
Free speech is bigger than any one person or any one organization. Societies are defined by what they will not permit. What we're watching is the total inversion of virtue.